Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians, the study of this book together uh, for the next couple, three months, looks like. And, and I hope you've been blessed. I missed the two. I want to say I missed the first two. I didn't. I listened to the first two, but appreciate Pastor Cliff stepping in for us last week after my wife uh, shared her disease with me. And then I was down, so I put that on her. Uh, okay. She always is treated nice, so I got to kind of flatten that out a little bit. Uh, I, uh, I just say my, yeah, boo, I get that. Uh, my uncle's here with me. My uncle Gordon is here with us today. We're glad to have him, him with us here today. All right. Uh, let me uh, begin this morning by drawing your attention to this passage. We're going to get right into the passage right away. Look at verse 7 with me. And someone remind me, Pastor, you know there is a car show out there today. I do know that, and you'll get there by 2 o'clock, I promise. So, <laughs> All right. Start at verse 7, Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what it says. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the richness of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of time, excuse me, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Now, I hope you notice that this verse that I read to you this morning, this, this section that, that Paul writes, begins with in him and it ends with in him. And I want to tell you, that is the truth of the universe. That is the truth of the universe. We're told in Scripture that in Christ we have the fullness of God in bodily form. Everything that exists, exists in Him. When you think about the cross with me just for a moment, I've said this before as we get get closer to Easter, you understand That the one who spoke everything into existence was impaled upon that cross. You say, no, no, that was, that was, that was, that was God that wasn't Jesus. And I'm telling you that Jesus is God. And Paul reminds us that all things were created by him and for him and through him. So I've said to you before that, that all things are from him and by him and through him. And if on that cross he would have said, stop. Do you understand that all things would have stopped? They would have ceased to be. You see, in God's perfect timing, thousands of years ago, he spoke that which was not into existence. And should he have decided to speak, you know, the Bible says that that he didn't utter a word on the cross. Well, we know he spoke at least seven different phrases on the cross. So it couldn't be talking about that. But what he didn't do on the cross is he didn't say stop. What he didn't do on the cross was pronounce judgment upon this sin-fallen world. Rather, he took that sin upon himself. And the judgment of his father upon himself. And he kept quiet. Not for himself, but upon himself. What he did upon the cross, he did for you, and he did for me. 
And when you think about how much God loves you, and we, I, I listened last week and Pastor Cliff referred you again to John 3.16, for God so loved the world, and sometimes we say that so quickly, God so loved the world. What is the so there? The so speaks of the magnitude of God's love for this world. And we've talked about this before. He didn't die for us because we were worthy of his death. I've heard pastors say, what is the worth of a human soul? And they would say, well, the worth of the human soul is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't believe that. Jesus did not die on us because we were worth it, as if he owed it to us to go to the cross and to die in our place. The basis for his death upon the cross, according to John there in that gospel, is because he loves us. And our salvation is not based on worthiness. Our salvation is not based on what we deserve. Our salvation is based upon the grace of God. You can put it this way. He went far and above anything that we were worth him doing for us. And he faced things that our mind cannot even imagination, begin to imagine so that we would never have to face the wrath of God. And now in this passage, we're reminded it's all in him. It's all in him. It begins in him and it will end in him. Before this world was created in eternity past, it was in him. And when this world is done, and when, when the judgment of God falls in this world, and, and as Peter tells us, it's consumed by the fire of God, when all time stops and we enter into eternity future, it's still going to be in him. That's why we present Christ to the world. That's why we share the gospel. Because without the gospel, without someone being brought to that place by the Holy Spirit to be in him, they're without hope. They cannot possibly be made right with God. You can't earn it. You can't do enough good for it. You can't make yourself right. And you certainly cannot purchase it. For the price is too high. And a price that we could not pay, Paul reminds us in this passage, God did pay. How many of you like to get gifts? Why? Why? I mean, we're adults now. Most of us could probably go out and buy whatever someone gives us, right? But there's something very special about someone who cared enough for us and thought enough of us to say, you know what? I got you something. And sometimes it doesn't take much. How many of you got grandkids? They don't have to give you much, but when they give it, whatever they give it to you, boy, isn't that nice? I mean, you stick it on your, on your refrigerator, and, and they're the greatest artist since Picasso. Matter of fact, most of their stuff look like Picasso. Okay? So, so but, but when someone just cares enough to give you something that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, or they just cared. And man, if, you, if we could multiply it by a number that you can't even begin to imagine, that's exactly what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. God loves you. My goodness, God loves you. I, don't know what I like to say, God loves you enormously. What does that mean? It means I, I, I don't have a bigger word. 
And God has done everything and more than enough to show you that he loves you. And that love is always extended to us through Christ. It's always and everything in him. Now, what does that look like? Well, that's what Paul's going to talk about here this morning in our passage. Again, he reminds us he begins within him, he ends within him. But what's he going to say in between there? Look with me at verse 7 again. And he, he reminds us that in Christ, in verse 7, we have redemption. You understand the term redemption? It simply means to be bought or be bought back. You've all, you've all have redeemed coupons down at Wendy's or somewhere like that. And you, you redeemed it and you got a benefit from that redemption. In that case, you didn't have to pay full price for something. Okay? Be sure you save those ones for Subway and wherever you go and stuff. They're great things. And we understand that redemption. When Christ redeemed us, it wasn't that he paid part of the price, but that he paid the full price. He literally brought, bought us back. Now, I want you to think about it. He literally bought us back from hell. John 3, 17. He did not come into the world to condemn the world. Why? Because the world was condemned already. But he came that the world might be saved through him. I want you to think about where Christ found you. Oh, Tony, I wasn't that bad of a person. Yes, you were. You were a mess. Well, I wasn't the sinner that this person was. No, you're probably worse. Even the Apostle Paul, my goodness. He said, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the worst of sinners. Don't demean the grace of God extended for you through Jesus Christ by saying, well, I wasn't quite as bad as so-and-so. Yeah, you were. I want you to get this picture. He literally bought, paid the price for you from hell. And in paying that price, he has rescued you and I from an eternity without the presence of God. That's hell. Say, Tony, don't you believe in a literal hell? Yes, I do. Well, the worst thing about hell that I can imagine, you talk about the fire, you talk about the, the, the pain and the punishment. The worst thing that I can think about being hell is God's not there. Without the presence of God. See, sometimes it seems like this world's hell. Sometimes it seems like this world has fallen apart and we, we at times suffer pain and we, we suffer discouragement, we suffer depression and, and things aren't what, like they should be. And we say, man, this world, it's hell. Today was hell. We have no idea. Because the worst that will ever happen to us on this earth, we never do it alone. We have to, never have to go through it alone. I heard one, one, one preacher put it this way. He says, this world is the only hell that believers will have to ever experience. And sadly, it's the only heaven that lost people will ever know. God has given us everything we need in Christ Jesus in order that we might know redemption. 
And that we belong to him. And we no longer are slaves, as Jesus put it. We're no longer slaves to sin, but now we're free in the Lord Jesus Christ. How did he do this? Well, Paul makes it very clear here. And the writers of Hebrews also makes it clear. Where he said he did this through his blood. Now, what does that mean? Why did he do it through the blood? Well, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, according to the law, almost all things are purified or made right with blood. And then he says this. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Or the word there literally means there is no forgiveness. In other words, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Now, the shedding of blood isn't, I want you to get a picture. It's not just like I cut my finger and spilled some blood on on this, on the ground. When he uses the term shedding of blood, what he means is the cost was death. When it talks about Jesus shed his blood, it literally means <clears throat> that he died for you. Well, how do I know that? Well, that's what it means. But also, remember what Paul told us in Romans. That the wages of sin is what? Death. death. What we've earned because we have sinned against God is death. So the price that must be paid for our sin must be and has to be death. Jesus died on the cross. It's incredible. Some of the people want to come up with different ideas of what happened on Jesus' cross. You ever heard the, the swoon theory? Well, it just got, that six hours on, on the cross just got a little bit too much for Jesus. And he basically just passed out. Now, you, in order to believe that, you also have to believe that the, the, the Roman soldier who, soldiers, first of all, who were experts in execution and including the one who took the spear and rammed it up his side into his heart and burst that sack around his heart. He must have missed something. But the swoon theory, theory act says, well, he didn't actually die. And I love this part. So they took him down off the cross, and they put him in that tomb, and the coolness of the tomb revived him. Man, man to... To flip this thing upside down, you've got to have more faith than I do. <laughs> it is clear that Jesus died. And if you think about the time that he died and the manner in which he died, and those who, who the humans who were his executioners, all those things lined up to make sure that you can't come up. I mean, unless you're just out of your mind a little bit, you can't come up with these kind of theories. He died. And he died in our place. Every Old Testament picture of the sacrifice for sin, that is the lamb, required that the lamb be what? Slaughtered. To be killed. That the blood of that lamb be shed. And when we come to Calvary, we see Jesus dying upon that cross. Now, you live in a time today, folks, where men have lost any, a lot, sense of reason. And rather than believe Scripture, it doesn't make sense to believe Scripture, let us decide for our own self why all this happened. We talk about what happened, but why this all happened. Well, Jesus did not redeem himself, and the, the prophet Daniel said that when Messiah came and Messiah died, Daniel chapter 9, that he would not die for himself, but would die for others. We call this 
The substitutionary atonement of Christ. Big words. What it simply means is that Jesus didn't die for himself, but he died for us. And he was qualified to do that because he is the Lamb of God without stain, without blemish, without sin. And God would accept that sacrifice. He did it for us because he was the only one qualified to do it for us. Now remember this about God. We would tell you that God is love. How many agree God is love? But let me give you... Sometimes people only want to pick the attributes of God that they're comfortable with. So it seems today all people want to tell you is that God is love. And by the way, he is. I told you a little bit earlier. God loves you enormously. Okay? But don't forget that God is also holy. And God is righteous. And God is just. And by the way, God isn't any less holy than God is love. God isn't any less righteous than God is love. God isn't any less just than God is love. Listen, God is perfect. Amen? So everything that God is, He perfectly is. That's what I want you to get. So because he's just and because he's holy and because we're unjust and because we're unholy, we stand in opposition to him and have no hope of coming into a fellowship or relationship with him on our own. We don't qualify. It's not that, that we don't just qualify to die for our sin. We don't qualify to come into the presence of God. But Jesus, the Son of God, why is it so important that he lived a sinless life? Why is it so important that that he's perfect? Because all those things speak of his qualification to do for us what only he could do for us. I've had people tell me, Tony, I got it now. So from now on, I'm not going to lie. From now on, I'm not going to lust. From now on, I'm not going to do I say, that's good. Don't. But you're already disqualified. You're already disqualified. Even if you could stay away from those things. That's why we present Jesus. Once again, it's all in him. Listen what the what, what the apostle Peter says, first Peter chapter two. Here's what he says. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered. What's it say? What's the next two words? For us. Say it out loud. For us. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who, talking about Jesus now, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him, to the Father, who judges righteously. We don't like that term when we talk about God. Judges what? Righteously. Who himself, back to Jesus, who himself bore our sin in his body on a tree. Whose sin did he bear? Our sin. On a tree that we, having died to sins, might live for what? Righteousness. I love this part. By his stripes or by whose stripes we are healed. Not talking so much about physical healing in this passage. He's talking about spiritual healing. And he goes on to say this. For you were like sheep gone astray. Who's, who's that talking about? That's me. You were like sheep 
gone astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. How'd that happen? He just told you. In him. In Christ. Now, if you listen to a progressive pastor, and I want to tell you, if you do that, please listen with a discerning ear. Uh, one thing I'm not, I'm a lot of things, but one thing I'm not is progressive. Okay? But you listen to a progressive pastor, they will tell you, listen, that substitutionary atonement stuff, that just makes God the cruelest of gods. No, it reveals the righteousness and the holiness of God. But it also reveals the love of Christ to go through that for you and for me. If Christ did not die for your sin and if the payment was not paid to, to God the Father for our sin, you're still in your sin. If he did not do that for us, as the Bible says he did it for us, you and I are still condemned in our sin. Our sin has been left unpaid for. And you know what that means? That would mean, would mean we are still condemned in our sin. Paul reminds us that it's in Christ that all this has happened. He took our place. He took our punishment. Why? Why? I listen to uh, Casting Crowns, one of my favorite groups and stuff. One of the things that Mark Hall says almost every time between songs, he said, he did this not because I'm good. He did this because he's good. You understand, God, God got no, uh, this is going to be bad in this, but you know me, I'll, I'll do that anyway. Uh, God got no bargain when he got us. He didn't save you because you were good. He didn't even save you because you potentially could be good. He saved you because he's good. You ever look in the mirror? I'm, I'm talking about people who've been saved. How many have been saved for three decades like me or, or more? Three decades. Gosh, I'm getting old, catching up to you guys. Three decades, and yet I will still look in the mirror and say, why? Why would God save that? That's not feeling sorry for myself. When those pensive moments come, it's very it opens my eyes to say, why? He got nothing when he got us. He certainly didn't, as good as many of you are, Even in the best of us, he didn't get anything he needed. Because what does God need? Nothing. Do you see the grace of God being poured out? Do you see the goodness of God being poured out toward you and toward me? His goodness is revealed in the fact that he has redeemed us. Romans chapter 5 verse 6 and 8 says this. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ, listen to this, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ didn't die for good people. He died for godless people. He died for us when we blasphemed his name. He died for us when we didn't believe in him. What You say, Pastor, why do you keep going back? Because if we could get this. And I'm not talking about lost people around. I'm talking about Christians right. If we could get this, it would change our our relationship with our own Heavenly Father. It becomes old to us at times. I believe that. We get used to the message. And we lose a sense of awe and wonder. That's why I love kids so much. They still 
they still have that sense of awe. They see something, they go, you know, it's an amazing thing. And by the way, when you came to Christ, whatever age that was, you probably had that same kind of awe. I can't believe he died for me. I can't believe I'm saved. I can't believe my sins are forgiven. I can't believe I have everlasting life. But you know what time does? It dulls us. If we're not careful, the most miraculous event that ever happened in your life, that is the redemption of your sin and, and you being born again, the most miraculous event, it becomes old hat to us. And we just look past it like it's just, just another part of our life. No, it is the source of your life. It is life itself to each and every one of us. So he says here in Romans verse, verse 7 now. Now scarcely, look at this. Now scarcely for a righteous one, excuse me, scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? So when we see this, we see that our redemption is in Christ. Paul reminds us. Now we, we look at verse 8 and 9, and, and he tells us more about what, what's in Christ. He says not only is our redemption in Christ, but all wisdom and knowledge that comes from God is given to us in Christ Jesus. Christian. What's that mean to you? Well, some would say, well, it literally means little Christ. And some have taken that to, to mean, oh, everything that Christ is, you automatically are. Well, let me kind of deal with that just for a moment. Jesus is the Christ and you're not. Everybody got that? You are not Christ. Even though you're born again, you're not Christ. But because you are born again, now that which belongs to Christ is offered to you. That's why Paul tells us that you are now joint heirs with Christ Jesus. So the blessing of knowing him is that you have the blessings that belong to him in the sense of which has been given to him by his father. It belongs to you now. That's why you can pray. That's why you can minister to other people. That's why you can hear the voice of God. That's why you can spend time in the word of God. That's why you can grow. All those things are evidence that, that Christ is in you. So Paul reminds us that it is in him that we have been given as the people of God the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Why? Because every promise that God ever gave to us comes through Christ Jesus. We talk about Jesus being the advocate, and he is our advocate. Which means that he goes to the Father on our behalf. Don't, aren't you glad that Jesus is the one that speaks for you? I got nothing against angels. I don't need them speaking for me, though. I got nothing against my brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm blessed that you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But you're not the one speaking for me. You know who speaks for me? As messed up as I am as, at times, you know who, who knows my name? You know who goes to the Father on my behalf? Even when I stumble and fall, fall flat on my face, brother, you know who goes for me? Jesus goes for me. He is not just mine. Listen to me. We talk about our faith. Jesus is mine. Praise God, he's mine. Jesus is mine. But get this. 
Child of God, Jesus is not just yours. You are his. And he knows you and he loves you and he speaks up for you. And he advocates for you because you also have an accuser who accuses you day and night before the throne of God and tells God, tries to tell God how bad you are. And we give him plenty of ammunition to use. But the voice that the Father hears for those who have been redeemed is not the voice of the accuser, but the voice of the advocate. Jesus speaks up for you. Jesus speaks for you. But I want to remind you this, that as we, as we look at this, he's not only conduit for us to God, if you will, but Jesus is also the conduit from God to us. Every promise of God is ours. In who? In who? In Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For all promises of God are in Him. That's Jesus. He's the Him there. And yes. And in Him, amen. To the glory of God through us. From the Father, through the Son, into us, and through us. So once again, the Father gets glory for what he's done to his Son. There's no room for us to boast about what we've done for God, what we've accomplished, because we've accomplished nothing on our own. It all comes to us through him. Any good you see in one another is the good of Christ. In a brother or sister. And that's not a slam to people. Imagine this. I and you get to be his ambassador. I not only get to speak for him. But I get to live for him. And he lives through me. So that God is glorified. So think about this. Think about where you were and what you were like when God found you. You know. Now, others around you say, well, it's always been a, well, Steve back there has always been a good guy. I'm picking on you, Steve. He's always been a good guy. Well, if Steve could talk, well, he can talk, but if he, if I allowed him to talk, he might be able to share some things that you have no idea about. That he said, that he did, that he thought. And when Jesus found him, like he found, I'm not just picking on Steve, it's true of all of us that are born again. When Jesus found us, I don't, theologically, I don't know what to say, I'm just going to say it this way. He found messes, messed up people. Now let me say something right here. It's more than just a little bit sad that a group of people in this building and almost in any church that's meeting right now who realize that when Christ found them, he found messes. And Christ redeemed them and Christ changed them. and Seemed at times to be the biggest group of people that don't want to have anything to do with messes. Did you hear what I just said? 
well, I don't know about so-and-so. We don't want them in our church because they're whatever. I don't have time to talk to this guy over here because uh, look at him. My point is we forget where we were when Jesus found us. And we weren't here to sit around boasting about that we're that special group. We're a redeemed group of people who have our life, our wisdom, every promise of God in Christ Jesus. For what? For the glory of God. The word glory, very simple, it just means, or the word glorified means to make known. In other words, what God does through you and me in Christ Jesus, the purpose for it is to make God known in the world that you and I are in. If that were not the case, what would make sense is that the moment we receive Jesus Christ, our Savior, and we're born again, he take us on home. But he has left us here to glorify God and, and to show the glory of God in us. Jesus, the Bible says, has made us a new creature. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In Christ, you have been changed. Christ did not just bandage you up. He didn't put salve on those, on those diseases and wounds. He did not just kind of shine you up. There's a lot of old cars that are going to be out there on the, on the concourse today. And I know there's going to be my car there. So if you, if you have extra money and you just want to bless your pastor, uh, there, there should be a 70 Chevelle out there. Go ahead and pick it up. I won't, I'll gladly receive that gift. Anyway. But there, you go out there now, and you go see those cars out there. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see some cars that, that, that are 50-plus years old. But when you look at them, they're just shined up. They're just shined up. Christ does not shine us up. Christ makes us new creatures. We have been born again by the power of God. We're not what we once were. We're not just a shined up version of what we once were. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. And God does that in Christ. Every promise, amen, in Christ. The wisdom of God is ours in Christ. The knowledge that God has for us is, is in Christ. And the change that has happened to us only happens in Christ. It is why, church, we have been called to share the gospel with a world that needs to know what it means to be in Christ. So what Christ has done for us, he can and will do for them also. That's why you are to be an evangelist for Jesus Christ. Don't let that scare you. It's not talking about preaching so much. It's talking about, it's talking about sharing the gospel wherever the Holy Spirit chooses to put you. Well, wait a minute. And I've had people do this for, they said, Pastor, I've been talking to my neighbor. I think I've got them right where they're ready to, to respond. So would you go and tell them how they can be saved? Well, I would be glad to do that. Don't get me wrong. But what I wanted, what I've said to so many people is, no, you go. I'm not the manager at a car dealership closing a deal. <laughs> and there's a reason why the Holy Spirit puts you in your neighbor's life. Because you may be the one person 
that's able, God is able to use to reach that person with the gospel. Do you understand what I'm saying? We push so hard at Baptists to say, we don't do the clergy thing. We don't do the hierarchy thing. We, we, we don't do this thing. And then we do it. Rather than understand that every born again person here is a priest before God. Every one of you is a priest before God. And you have the ability, not because of your ability, but you have the ability of the Holy Spirit who empowers you to be able to share the gospel message. It does not take a professional to share the gospel. You get to. What a great privilege. You get to share that, that, that gospel. Because here's the point. It's not you who's saving anybody. It's Jesus who does the saving. And he can use anybody. He does all the time. All he's asking for is people to understand everything we are, every promise we have, every, every thing we know and everything we're able to properly apply in the wisdom of God comes to us through Christ Jesus. Now let me just finish this up. In verse 10, which with our young people mentioned earlier in their, in their, in their skit, in verse 10, we find that in him again, is the fullness and the completion of God's perfect plan. We've all been involved in something in life that just kind of starts out good. I mean, strong and good and stuff. And then if you'll allow me to say it this way, it just sort of peters out. You know what I'm talking about. Starts out good, all the hope, all the promise, all the... All the uh, uh, potential is out there, and you just know it's going to get better and better. Listen, I'm moving toward that direction, and what I find out as I get older and older, it seems like that's what retirement's all about. <laughs> you work all your life to gain all these things, and then retirement comes around, and you don't even have the energy to enjoy what you did. That's it. it just seems to be the natural... What, what do they call that, Wayne? Is that the second law of thermodynamics? Everything's sort of deteriorating? <laughs> Things are not getting better. They're the, you know, when they say, oh, you're not getting older, you're getting better. Who are they trying to fool? <laughs> Come on. Oh, we lost a, a, a great, for my view, a great uh, country singer, Toby Keith, not too long ago. I like Toby Keith. If you don't like him, well, you and I probably won't sit down together very much and listen to music. Uh, but it, he had a song, I, and I'm not going to sing it. You know I can't do that. But he said, I'm not as good as I once was. And then he goes on to say, but I'm as good once as I ever was. Work on that one. Let that chew on that on for, for a little bit. Weird. Everything in life seems to be moving to a lesser, if you will. Here's the contrast of our Christian faith. It's not moving to lesser. It's always moving toward greater. That's the fullness of the promise of God. You have a hope in you. In who? In Christ Jesus. That that which is to come is greater than anything you've ever experienced before in your existence. Amen? How many of you have a loved one that's already with Jesus? That hurts, doesn't it? That hurts, doesn't it? What gives us any sense of comfort in our sense of loss of that one we love so much? 
Is it not that we are assured that what they're experiencing right now is life beyond any life we've ever experienced? Doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Doesn't mean we, we don't grieve. But our grief is not, if they're children of God, our grief is not for them. Our grief is for ourselves, our loss. And yet, at the same time, we know that that loss is temporary, don't we? And what's waiting for us in Christ Jesus is eternity. And, and, and I love this thought. Not only with Jesus, that's wonderful, but also with every loved one who's gone on before us. Someone told me one time, I don't believe that we'll know each other we're in heaven. You know, sometimes I just, when people, Christian, and it's usually a Christian who says this, what are you talking about? Well, I don't know. I don't want to know my ex-wife. What? You'll be okay with your ex-wife when you get to heaven. You'll be more than okay. And by the way, she'll probably be okay with you too, buddy. The Bible says when we go through that veil, we will know as we're known. Can you imagine a place where every relationship is perfect? Where all things have been forgiven and everything is made right. Everything is made right. You're not going to carry this junk into heaven. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. And think about that. The one who created you is the only one who can erase those things. Who can take those things away from you. So as we look at this passage and we look at the last thing that, that Paul reminds us. He wants to remind us that in him, in Christ, we, is found the fullness and the completion of God's perfect plan for each and every one of us. Jesus gives us, church, everlasting or eternal life. John 3, 14 and 15 says, As Moses lift, was lifted up, or lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so... Must the Son of Man be lifted up? Look at verse 15. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, he's talking about Christ's sacrifice here, which gives us the fullness of God's promise in Christ Jesus. And the, the, the culmination of that promise of Christ going to the cross and dying for your sin and you putting faith in him for dying on that cross is everlasting. Lasting life. We don't go through a veil to death. Church, we don't go through a veil to death. We go through a veil to life. And life like you never experienced in the flesh. The last verse I want to share with you this morning. John, or first John, chapter 513. Not only does God want you, as you read this, to say, oh good. If I trust in Jesus, I have everlasting life. He wants you to know that if you do trust in Jesus... What he offers you is what? What he gives you is what? What's the word? What's this word? Everlasting. Say that word with me. Everlasting. That which is everlasting cannot be temporal. Did you get what I just said? That which is everlasting cannot be temporary. If it is, listen, it's just sin. It makes sense. If it is temporary, it's not everlasting. If it's temporary, it's not eternal. Does that make sense to you? God doesn't make a mistake when he inspired these people to write his word to us. 
And here's what he reminds us, 1 John 5, 13. John wants you to know this. God wants you to know this. If you've trusted in Jesus, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. How many believe in the name of the Son of God? How many of you trust him and have faith in him? All right, here's what. Here's, this is written to you. So get this. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know you have what kind of life? Eternal life. And that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. He wants you to know. First of all, if you've trusted in Jesus, you have eternal life. But not only that, he wants you to continue in the time that you're here to rest in that. That you may continue to believe that. You may continue to know that. That that, that, that may be the place you dwell. When God gives his wisdom and his knowledge and he pours that into your life, the essence of that, that knowledge is that you are a child of God if you trusted in Jesus. And that that cannot change. Because it's not in you that it happened. To you it happened. But it's not in, you're not the source of what happened. Jesus is the source. It's in him. And so we close out this message this morning before we come to the table of the Lord together. And we celebrate what we've talked about this morning. His sacrifice. The breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And as we come to this table, I want you to have this in your mind and in your souls and your spirits this morning. In him. Our verse began in him. Our verse ended this morning in him. Why? Because it's all in him. We gather around his table and we share his sacrifice because we realize that without that, we could not know the forgiveness of our sin. We could not know that we would have everlasting life. Jesus went to Calvary alone. And even on Calvary, his father poured out his wrath upon the son. And he bore our punishment alone. But before he went to the cross, he instituted the Lord's Supper. So that his people, those who belong to him, would never, ever forget that it literally, it literally is in him. And without him, we have no hope. Would you bow your head with me this morning?